Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to share a message entitled, It's Time to Grow. It's Time to Grow. Back at the beginning of the year, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I shared a message entitled, It's Time to Build. Uh, unrelated in many ways, other than the fact that it's time to build had to do with us as a body. This has to do with us as a body, and, and I, I should say the, the first message was about the idea of bringing others in, reaching out to the lost, ministering to those who are hurting. Uh, this has to do with not only us as individuals, but also us as a body of believers. Because we have to be strong, we have to be stable in order for us to really be able to reach a lost and a dying world. And so it's vitally important that we understand how God's growth process works, not only for us as individual members of the body of Christ, but also for us as a body of believers. We are known as the body of Christ, not just this church here, but also churches all over the world. Those who follow Jesus Christ with all their hearts they are the body of Christ. This is a smaller local body, and God wants us to grow. You might be thinking I'm talking about numbers today. I'm not. Though we, it wouldn't hurt for us to get on the numbers bandwagon a little bit. But beyond that, it's not just about putting people in the pews. It is about us as individuals growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. We have to grow in God. If we are not growing, then we are going to begin to grow in another direction and grow stagnant. I can remember uh, growing up in northern Maine, there were all of these little creeks and ponds and different places that uh, we used to explore. It was a rural country area, and so we go out in the woods and, you know, we go to different places, go around in the fields and... Uh, one of the things that we used to go uh, do is we would explore when we were picking potatoes. In the fall of the year, uh, we would go and explore around the fields a little bit at lunchtime. Whenever the digger would stop, we would go out. A digger is just this, this, this thing that has a conveyor belt on it, digs up the rows of potatoes, and lays it on top of the rows. And we'd go behind it, and we'd pick potatoes. Whenever that would stop, we would go exploring out in these potato fields and out around on the edges of the woods. And every now and then, we would come across a little pond. And these little ponds, you looked at them, and there was nothing inviting about them. Now, I, some of the best and the freshest water I have ever had to drink was not out of those ponds. It was out of, I remember the, the, the camp that my parents used to have flowed down, or kind of went down, it was at the bottom of a mountain at, at a lake, but down over that hill there was a stream that trickled. Somebody had left a tin can at that stream, and you could take a tin can and you could drink out of that, that stream. It was so fresh and so pure as the water flowed down. The impurities were gone, and that was the coolest freshest water. But when you got to one of these little ponds, you realized this was not a pond that was fed by any kind of life source because there was no life in it. The only life that was there was the algae that was growing on the pond. And it was all green and all disgusting. And just, you, it was not inviting. You didn't want to jump in it. 
You didn't want to drink from it. You didn't want to do anything in this pond because it was stagnant. There was no life going into it. We as Christians have to be careful that we don't become like these ponds that can be seen where there's no life flowing into it. Did you know that the Dead Sea in Israel has no life, no wildlife in it simply because there is no ability for it to, to flow. There's nothing that flows out of it. Something flows into it, nothing flows out of it. So it cannot sustain life. You and I, brothers and sisters have to be so careful that in our Christian lives, we don't allow ourselves to become stagnant and cease to grow. The question is, what is God's growth process? How does it work? What are the elements that we need to understand and be aware of for us to grow, not only as individuals, but also as a church? Three E's. Three elements. Three E's. Equipping. Edifying and experiencing. I want to look at the equipping part. What do we do? How are we able to grow? What has God done? And how is it that God plans for us to grow as individuals? Take a look at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Let's read verse 12. We'll go down through and just read down through to verse uh, 13 as well. The Bible also it goes on to say, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The question is, and the first thing I want to look at when we understand and we, we realize that what God has chosen to do is He has chosen to equip us. Now, if you go to a job and somebody says, listen, we've read your resume You've got some of the, the skills that we want you to fulfill this job, but there are some other skills you're going to have to improve on. A lot of companies will say, okay, if we are, we're willing to hire you, knowing you don't have all the skills that we are requesting, we will pay for you to further your education. Some companies will say it's in the form of seminars. You go to a seminar, we'll pay for you to do that. We will do what it takes to equip you. Now, I know a lot of times when we read verse 11, we immediately jump to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We talk about what's called the five-fold ministry. But before we get there, we have to be very, very sure about this one thing. There is somebody who has initiated all of this who is the most important person mentioned in this verse. Listen to what it says again. And it was he who gave. Who initiated the method of getting things done? We often overlook the first person that's mentioned in this verse, but the Bible says it was he who gave. That is, Christ is the one who has put this plan into motion. 
There have been a lot of people who have come along and said, well, you know what, I'm not so sure that God is going to do it this way anymore. No, if you're going to say that, you're going to go against what Scripture says. It was He who said, we are going to have this five-fold ministry in order to help prepare the body to grow and to become what I want the body of Christ to become. We cannot overlook the fact that it is Christ who has done all of this. He put the plan into motion. And in the end, in any church, if it becomes about the name of an individual, then we have to be vitally, we have to be so careful about what's going on in that church. Someone here Tuesday night came into the building, was here for the prayer meeting afterwards, speaking with this individual. They said, oh, do you know so-and-so's ministry? I said, well, frankly, I don't. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I'm not up on too, too many people's ministries. I don't have time to, you know, to be all into what everybody else is doing. I said, no, I don't. So I checked up on it. And a little bit later, all of a sudden, it, it, it dawned on me. and began, I began to realize that so often as Christians, we become worshipers of people rather than worshipers of Christ. All of a sudden, churches become about who is the pastor? What's his personality like? How are things done you know, in his ministry? How does he preach? The, the funny thing that just came, came across my life recently was my nephew. I had spent some time with my nephew, Aaron. Uh, on the way uh, down from northern Maine down to Massachusetts. And he said, you know, things have changed a little bit. And, and I said, how so? And he said, well, you know, a lot of my, uh, you know, the people in, in Bible college these days, he says, they don't like the, the preachers who, you know, get up and they shout and they scream and they do all kinds of things. And I'm going to think, man, they would not like me. And he said, but I love it. He goes, you know, this one pastor, the pastor up in Maine, he comes down every now and then, preaches in chapel. He said, I love when he comes. But, you know, other people, they get, they, they just, now it's more about how you just, you kind of talk to people. And it's, you know, it's, it's, folks, when we get hung up on style, we are missing the point. Listen, any church that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ is all right. Any church that begins to lift up the fact that we need to be saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ is all right. However the pastor preaches it, however the personalities are that are delivering the message, brothers and sisters, in the end, the church is not about a personality. It is about the living Savior. It's about Him. That's what is most important. It's not about how you deliver the message. Not about who the personality is, what the personality is. It is about Jesus Christ. We cannot overlook that in this part of this verse. It was He who gave. It's all about Him. It originated with Him, came from Him. But what did He do? Well, He gave a five-fold ministry. We're not going to deal with the first three. I don't have time. We're going to deal with the last two just briefly because this is how God gets the plan done. Now, how He gets it fulfilled, how it comes about, and how it's carried through. It seems as though God has a divine order and authority structure in the church. I realize here in America we have the idea that somehow authority has to be questioned on every hand. In fact, that's how we, we come to realize we got to vote in our elections. We begin to question, we begin to doubt, we begin to do different things, and we vote for the person that we think ought to be in office and, and all of that. And, and the, the, whole, the whole society is, 
is just plagued with this idea that authority is there not to be followed, but to be questioned. That's not God's order of things, folks. It's not how God does it in the Scripture. Now listen, I realize there have been abuses, and in cases where there are abuses, yes, absolutely, authority has to be questioned. It has to be doubted and has to be called to light. But be careful what it is that you begin to point your finger toward individuals to to somehow get to the heart of what you believe is going on or what you think is going on. God has, has in mind here a ministry that will help the local church. Now, evangelists and pastors and teachers are really there to help the local church. Not so much the evangelists as per se, because the evangelists are those who reach out to the masses. But many evangelists come into local churches and are blessings to local churches. But I want to talk to you about the pastors and the teachers a little bit. Because a pastor, according to Scripture, the word pastor literally means shepherd or servant. If a pastor is leading according to the way Scripture tells the pastor ought to to lead, then he is a shepherd to the people. What does the shepherd do? A shepherd leads and a shepherd guides the sheep. The pastor also finds food for. This is what a a shepherd will do. The shepherd will lead the sheep to different pastures where they will find food. Now, that's that's my job, folks. As As a pastor of this church, it is my job to find food for you. Just read recently where Ezekiel, God told him, take the scroll and eat it. And Ezekiel was a little bothered by that. Now, it was a vision that he was seeing. But he said, take it and eat it. But when he ate it, guess what? He said, uh, though it was a hard message, a difficult message, he said when he got it down on the inside, he said it was sweet like honey. It tasted good. Even the hard messages taste good. From those who have to eat it first and then, well, I don't want to use this term, but, you know, you have to then get it out. To the people. You know what I mean. You then, look, no pastor sits there and says, well, this is a great message for the people, but not for me. If a pastor is a pastor and is in the right frame of mind, he'll say, "This this is good for me. I feed myself, then I feed you. You see, that's what a pastor is to do. The pastor finds food for. The shepherd finds food for protects and guides the members of this church. If you ever hear any of us, I know Pastor Impaglia has been there with some of you in the past. Maybe you bring up a ministry or maybe you bring up some individual that you've been in contact with and some other types of ministries that are out there. And maybe it is that we have given a word of caution at the moment about those particular ministries. And you think, now, how in the world, why in the world, you know, would they say that? You know, isn't everybody okay? We are here to protect. We are not following some strange doctrine. We're not preaching some strange scripture. Preach the word of God and go to the word of God. Everything has to be tested by the word. We go to the word of God and if the word of God, we don't find it, then we have to question it. Now, there is also another part of how God gets this done and that is through teachers. Individuals whose work it is to impart the gospel of truth. This is part of the role of the pastor, but not every pastor is a teacher and not every teacher is a pastor. 
So there are two different roles, but those are the two that seem to affect the body of Christ. Listen, when we hear the, the message preached or we hear somebody teaching the Word of God, the one thing that will help us to grow, the one thing that will help us to be all that God wants us to be and equip us for the work that He has for us to do is to have a heart that says, Lord, I'm going to receive Your Word today. <laughs> you know, you, you remember sitting in school every now and then, and you know, at the end of the year, uh, the school year, you know, the weather's getting better here in Chicago. The weather's, you know, it gets nicer. And, you know, I, I got to hand it to teachers because I remember what it was like being a student and being in school. Because when the weather was nice, I was just always staring out the window. I, I remember sitting, in fact, I, I remember the scene to this day. My history teacher was my baseball coach for pretty much my whole life. He was my baseball coach. But in high school, he was my U.S. history teacher. And his classroom was there where there was a window that overlooked the baseball field. And I can remember at the end of the year looking out and the weather was nice. And maybe I knew we had a practice that, that afternoon after school. And I remember sitting in his class. Fortunately, he never said anything to me about it. But I remember sitting in his class and I'd just look out the window and I'd look out at the baseball field. And I wasn't hearing anything that he had to say about, you know, Lyndon Baines Johnson or John F. Kennedy, who were two great presidents that he loved. He, I, you know, I had heard nothing that he said about them. I was just looking out there and daydreaming and just hoping and wishing and wanting to get out there. My heart wasn't into receiving anything he had to say. My heart was on what I wanted. You see, one of the dangers is, is that we begin to translate some of the stuff that we, we have in life and that we experience in life, we bring it into the church. And we hear the pastor preaching, we hear the pastor shouting, we hear all kinds of things going on, and in our minds we're thinking, when's he going to be done? I'm hungry, I need to get out of here, i got all kinds of things i got to do this afternoon. Does he really have to go on and on and on? FYI, that's not the receiving kind of heart. God wants us to have a receiving heart. The only way that a pastor or a teacher can get something into you and impart truth into you is for us to be in a receiving mode. You know, in football, there is the receivers. And they are always, always looking for the ball. They are the guys who are always, they're trying to break free from a defender. And as soon as they get a little bit of daylight, you see their hands, they're going, you know, they're going up. You ever see a receiver in the middle of the field who didn't get the ball? And, you know, he was like, I'm wide open. Nobody's around. The quarterback can't see him to throw the ball to him. And he's standing there, throw the ball to me. Wouldn't it be great if we all came into church and said, Lord, throw the ball to me today. Throw it to me. I got to receive from you. I want something from you today. Well, what are these pastors and teachers supposed to accomplish then? Verse 12. Look at verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service. To prepare God's people for works of service. Wait a minute, Paul. You know, that was a different day. Isn't, isn't the pastor supposed to, you know, be the guy who fixes everything? the guy that I call for everything, the guy that does everything. Isn't he the guy who's... See, Paul, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not our modern-day 
concept of what a pastor is supposed to be. One time we talked to a church many years ago, and all of a sudden hung up the phone and realized this church is looking for Jesus (laughs) because they wanted somebody who could do everything and anything. And actually, we began to think not even Jesus would do some of the stuff that they were asking for. You know, there's just this this grandiose idea of what the pastor is supposed to do. If you want to know what my job description or any other pastor's job description is, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, and you will find out. This is what we are supposed to do, to prepare God's people for works of service. Who is to be prepared? Well, God's people, His saints, the body of Christ, those who are believers, those who love the Lord, those who want to follow God. It's not limited to those people in those offices, but in verse 11, God wants all of us to be prepared for works of service. Now, a pastor and a teacher has to prepare themselves for the work of service. They have to take in the Word of God. Like the apostles said on one occasion, there was a great need in the church, and they said, listen, there are some people, they were, one of the things that they were doing, they were feeding the hungry. steal Mervyn's mic if it'll reach. Now it won't reach. I need freedom. Uh, But you know, what was I saying? Now I'm lost. See how that happens? (laughs) Don't you hate when that happens? But at any rate... God wants us to be prepared. Pastors and and teachers, they have to be prepared for the works of service. But all of us are to be equipped for the work of the ministry, the work of the Lord. God has not called people in this church to just sit around and do nothing. Thank you for that amen. That helped me a lot. God did not call us just to sit by and watch somebody else. The mentality has become... You know, I'm not going to give myself to it. I'll let somebody else do it. You know, that, that, that nothing's going to get done. We have to realize that God has called us, God has called me, to help prepare you for works of service. We have to join together. When God, you know, when, when God put people out on the street yesterday to go out there and to minister, it is as a result of those who have come up in this church and over the years they have been trained to minister the, the message of the gospel. No, they don't stand on the corner with a megaphone preaching some message that nobody's listening to. They are out there to engage people one-on-one, minister to them. Why? Because God God has prepared them for that work of service. Now, there's another part of this, edifying. God wants us to be edified, but he also wants us to do the edifying. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word edifying just simply means to build up. To build up. We're going to see how this plays out a little bit in the body of Christ. But verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is to be accomplished from the equipping? You see, it's not just so that everybody can say, well, I'm equipped to do something, but then you don't do anything. 
No, no, no. God has called us. Listen, do you, do you understand this? And, and I hope we do. That, that God has called us as a body first to one another, then to the world. You see, we can only minister to the world it, through the avenue of strength that we have and dependency that we have on one another as a body. We can only, we are only as strong as this body. If, you know, I, I, I don't think for one minute that lifting up the name of Praise Tabernacle is going to change a person's life. But I do think that if we can be prepared that when people come in from who are unbelievers from the world and say, I need to, to know Christ, I need to love Christ, I need to give my all to Christ, that they can come into Praise Tabernacle and they can find a body that is strong, that is vibrant, that loves the Lord, that will worship the Lord and will give ourselves completely and totally to praising Him and worshiping Him to the point where we can say we're going to help this person to grow in the Lord. What is to be edified? First of all, the body of Christ. We cannot ignore the fact that we are the body of Christ and as such we have a responsibility to do our part to build up the individual members of Christ, of, of the body. The individual members that are here. We have a responsibility. A lot of times we think, well, I'm responsible only for me. If you're part of this local assembly, you are responsible for you, but you are also responsible for your brothers and sisters in Christ. To the extent that they allow you to strengthen them as they allow you to minister to them, they, you are responsible to them. God is called. Why, why in the world would we then pray for people at the altar if we were not responsible for one another? This is why we, we need each other. It's so important that we depend on one another, that we encourage and strengthen one another, and that we minister to each other. That's what that word actually in this passage means. To build means to strengthen or it also means developing another person's life through acts of, and words of love and encouragement. Let me say that again. To build means to strengthen and also developing another person's life through acts and words of love and encouragement. Acts and words of love and encouragement. Not acts of and, and, you know, words of discouragement. Not words that tear down. Not words that somehow, you know, sort of get in and get under the person's skin. No, no, no. God has not called us to that. We cannot be built up through those means. We can only be built up as we learn to love one another, as we learn to encourage one another and minister to one another in the body. That is the way we're going to be strengthened and we will be strong enough to be able to handle what God wants to bring into this place. And that is also exponential new. Numeral, num, numeric kind of growth. He doesn't want us to stay as we are. If we will stay as we are, folks, then we are missing the whole big picture. This is a part of the picture that we've got to get right. 
And we've got to help one another to grow and to be strong in the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, not only in numbers, but also adding to the strength of the whole body of Christ. That is, how do we do it? Well, we do it by loving one another. Loving one another in spite of the fact that maybe you look across the aisle and you say, but they ain't like me. Well, who is? But I got to find somebody who's just like me and thinks just like me. Well, look in the mirror. Then you'll find somebody who looks like you, thinks like you, acts like you, talks like you. God didn't call us to all be the same. He didn't call us to be a bunch of robots with one another. No, no, no. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. That is a little bit different will help sharpen the other. That's a little bit different. We cannot look at each other and say, well, you know, they're, they're not quite like me, so I can't, you know, I can't hang out with them. I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I can't go to Starbucks with them and have coffee I can, or Dunkin' Donuts. I hate Starbucks. I can't. Did I just say that? Sorry for all you Starbucks-loving folks. You know, I can't take them to Dunkin' Donuts for some coffee. I can't, you know, why? Because they don't, they don't, they're not like you? Listen, the body of Christ isn't about being like one another. It's about being like Jesus. Couldn't quite get that out, could I? It's about being like Jesus. we got to be like him. We have got to be more like Jesus, loving one another, serving one another. Don't expect it. Well, you know, I'm just going to be served. You know, God help us. I, you know, we, we can never, ever, I believe, come to the place where th- we think that we are owed something by other people in the body. We're owed service. You don't know what I did for that person last year. You know what they did for me? Nothing. Well, keep serving. Keep, just keep serving. Be a servant. Jesus, how many people looked at Jesus in his day? The Bible says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He came as a servant, the Bible says. And yet those that he came to rejected him, pushed him away and said, no, not interested. What did he do? Get mad and leave? Say, Father, this was too, too difficult. No, he didn't. He just kept serving, serving one another, forgiving one another. Why? Because every now and then we offend each other. And every now and then we stand in the way of somebody else's progress. And the only way to get past that is to learn how to forgive. Now, just unloading your junk on somebody does not mean that you, you know, a lot of people just think, well, I just had to get that off my chest. There are those who get things off their chest in a way that says, you hurt me and I'm just going to stick it to you right now. And there is a way to get rid of the junk and put it behind you. It is called the redeeming way. It is called, you know what, maybe you hurt me, but you, I know you didn't mean to. Let's, let's put it behind us. I want to move forward. I want to move on in God. And brothers and sisters, in the end, we have to learn to become so mature that, that we just, you know, we become like the duck. You know, the duck, the, the water just rolls off the back. Nothing gets through that, that, those feathers. 
We have to learn, Lord, help me to just set aside what it is that I feel. Help me to get thicker skin so that I can be more loving, I can be more serving, and I can be more understanding and more forgiving. We also have to pray for one another. A lot of the problems that we might have with one another in the church would probably be best dealt with in prayer rather than dealt with in confrontation. Somebody bothers you, somebody does something that offends you, how about you take it to the Lord? Don't, don't pick up the phone and say, i got to unload on somebody. How about you unload on Jesus? Unload on Him. Tell Jesus about it and get into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to pray for this individual that you will help them and strengthen them. And Lord, that you will bless them. Now, one final thing, and it is this. One final element of growth, and it is experiencing. Look at verse 13. The Bible says this. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul just gives a whole big mouthful of wisdom and stuff here. Let's try to break it down, shall we, a little bit? Experiencing. This is about experience in the body of Christ. But when are we to carry all of this work out? Until when? Well, here's the goal of the church, and it's described in three equal forms or three ways. First is the unity of the faith. And knowledge, not just head knowledge, this is experiential knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, there are folks who know about Jesus in their heads, but they have yet to come to the place where they have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. Yet to come to the place, and maybe even sitting in the pew. Maybe even going to church each and every Sunday so that they feel a little bit better about themselves. This is not about you feeling better about you. This is about you being right with Jesus and getting to know the fact that he loved you enough that he died on the cross for your sins and has a, a, a plan for you and a future for you. So until we come to unity of the faith, not unity in faith, that is our ability to believe, but unity of the faith, that is what we believe. I realize there are a lot of churches that will say, well, on this particular point of doctrine, we don't agree with you, we don't agree with you, but you know what? When it all comes down to it, there are some very, very basics of Christianity that we cannot, is a non-negotiable, we cannot negotiate with anybody about them. And some of those non-negotiables are vitally important for us to hang on to, and that is the area of unity that we have to function in. The body of Christ has to come to a place where we say we're going to believe God with all of our hearts to help us to come around what we believe is the truth revealed in Scripture. So we've got a tall order here to be in unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. There's also something else that he says. And become mature. The King James, I think, says perfect, doesn't it? For anybody who might be toting the King James, King James says perfect. I used to stumble over that as a kid because we only had the King James when I was growing up. And then somebody revealed to me that the word perfect does not mean absolutely sinless. 
Because who is other than Jesus? So it has to some other meaning to the idea of perfect. And somewhere along the way, the King James sort of helped perpetuate this idea, not only to, to Christians in the church, but people in the world, that Christians are supposed to be perfect. That is, absolutely sinless. You ever have somebody in the world tell you how you're supposed to live as a Christian? <laughs> it's always an event. But, you know, the world seems to think, Christians, you've got to be perfect. And we're not perfect. But the Bible indicates here that it is mature. Until we mature, we have to be a maturing crowd of people. We have to mature in the Lord, always being able to recognize the fact that I need to improve and then be willing to submit to the processes of God to make sure we do improve. It's one thing to recognize you've got a problem. It's another thing to say, now let me do something about the problem. That's maturity. That's growth. Growth says if there is a flaw in my character that hinders me in, in the body of Christ and hinders me from, from being what I ought to be in the body, then maturity says let me do something about my character flaw and work on it with the help of the Holy Spirit so that I can be all that God has called me to be in the body. So we've got to be a maturing group of people. You know, one of the problems is we stay too close to the edge of where we came into the body. One little boy was asked by his mother one day, why'd you fall out of bed? And the little boy just replied, well, Mama, I guess I stayed too close to the getting in place. <laughs> and a lot of Christians, unfortunately, when they come to Christ, they stay too close to the world. They think, you know, I'm tough enough, I'm strong enough. We wake up feeling good one day and we think that feeling is going to be enough to get us through. It's not. Because as soon as you begin to depend on feelings, that feeling will change instantly. You've got to depend on your relationship with the Lord. You've got to depend on the Word of God to feed you and to help you and to strengthen you and depend on prayer to keep you in tune with the Holy Spirit that when all hell breaks loose and you don't know how to handle the pressure, you don't go running back into the world. You don't go running back right across the getting in place. Now, the Bible also says not only do we have to be maturing, move forward in Christ, but also to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does this mean? Well, a measure is a rule or a standard whereby you gauge length, depth, and height, right? See a carpenter pull out his tape measure? He's measuring how long something is, how high something is, how deep something is. And that from those measurements, they can craft things, they can do things. Well, an interesting thing about the word measure in the, in the original language here is that it means limited portion. So if you wanted to read this scripture, let, let me just read it this way. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole limited portion of the fullness of Christ. Well, how is it that the idea of limited portion could refer to Christ? How is he limited? Let me just take you to another verse of Scripture. Let's turn over real quick to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Just a couple more thoughts on this, and we're going to bring this to a close today. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. 
The Bible says this, who being in the very nature, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human Likeness. Jesus was limited in that he laid aside the glory of heaven to become a man and to show us how to live as servants. His limited portion as a servant is what we need to reach in our humanity. We need to reach out to the measure of what he was in his limited portion. In his limited portion, he is certainly greater than what we will ever become this side of heaven. But this is what we are to reach for and we are to reach out and take a hold of and become like him in that limited portion. We cannot be like him in his unlimited portion, that is, as the Son of God. For example, we can be uh, he showed us the way of how to love people and how to minister to people and how to care for people but he did not give us his omniscience that is his all-knowing nature god wants us to be strong in him and in the power of his might but he did not give us his omnipotence his ability to be all-powerful so we've got to reach out and be, be like him in the sense that Jesus came to this earth and he lived in a manner that said, you can follow my footsteps and be like me in this way and you can reach that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Who he was revealed to be in the scripture, you and I can reach out and take a hold of and become like him. Now, the bottom line is simply this, and stated, is that we are to make every effort to be like Jesus in the way that the Bible declares he is. David Glass, the chief executive officer of the exceptionally well-managed Walmart stores a number of years ago, not sure if he still is, but when he was asked who he most admired, he responded, Sam Walton, the Walmart founder, founder of Sam's Club as well. He went on to note, there's never been a day in his life since I've known him that he didn't improve in some way. And I pray that that would be the description of our lives as believers, that there would be, never be a day that would go by that we would not try to improve in some way, not with our own strength, not with some, you know, kind of, you know, look, some of you might have more self-help books on your shelf than you really need. Because in the end, the self-help book you need is right here. It's this book, the Scripture. This will help you to be like Jesus more than any book that you could ever own. It will help you to live the way that he has called you to live and be everything that he wants you to be in this local body. I want us to stand together right now, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us to live more like Jesus and to be more like him as we pursue that goal within this local body of believers that he will then strengthen us and help us to be everything that we need to be 
to be able to reach out to a lost and a dying world. God has to prepare us and help us to be strong in Him and in the power of His might because I believe that God wants there to be a breakthrough in our lives, in people's lives, in the life of this church, that there would be a a great breakthrough, that people would come in and begin to see and know the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And God has to help us as a body to be strong enough to be able to handle that kind of growth. Let's pray together right now and join together and ask the Lord to help us to grow in Him. Father, today, I pray that you would help us as a body of believers to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you. Help us, Lord, I pray, by the power of the Spirit today to walk in faith and obedience to your word. Help us, Lord, to have receiving hearts for what it is that you want to put into us, whether through the preaching of the word or when we hear teaching of the word or whether it is that we are reading in our own prayer time and you want to speak to us, oh God, Lord, not so that some promise will just come about, but God, so that we will grow as individuals and we will be more like Jesus. Help us, oh God, I pray, to be more like you. Lord, I pray for your people, this body of believers, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them to grow, oh God, and to be equipped for service. Help me, Lord, to fulfill my function as a pastor, to to equip this body for works of service, that we all might come to that place where we reach that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Lord, we want to be like you because there is no one like you. Lord, we want to be like Jesus so that we can uphold your name. Not the name of a church, not the name of a pastor, but we're going to uphold the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray right now that you would strengthen us, O God, to do your will and to do your work your way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. I want you to just turn before you leave this place. Turn and greet one another in the joy and in the love of the Lord today. God bless you.